Hello and welcome. It's episode 51 of Campbell Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And today we are talking about improving your social skills and making new friends. To do so, we are joined by Rob Riker, who is a social skills and relationship coach. This episode is one that is going to become increasingly valuable as we hopefully move our way through the COVID restrictions into a more quote-unquote normal world. There is so much within this one. We dive initially into what Rob's role is and how he helps people, particularly in what we what we cover as the loneliness epidemic that many people in the world face nowadays. Rob shares how we can meet new people, make new friends, as well as relating that to his own experiences. I'm always a big fan of when we can give practical examples of the theory in action, and Rob is able to do that. One of the main areas of the podcast is some of the key principles behind a viral tweet that I saw that Rob had, which was 34 ways to be more socially savvy. We delve into a few of those and there's so much actionable content within this pod. I cannot wait to hear your feedback and let's get going. Welcome back to another episode of Canberra Conversations. And today's conversation, we are speaking about improving your social skills and making new friends. To do so, I'm joined by Rob Riker. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Colin. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I can't wait to get going. I'm excited to chat with you today, Rob, because as we were saying before we started recording, for the listeners' benefit, I use Twitter pretty much exclusively for Rangers football news, and a lot of people in the background here will be shaking their head in disgust that I'm using a social media platform without any idea of kind of growth or productivity like I normally do on Instagram or LinkedIn. But outside of that, I probably follow 10 to 15 accounts who I just like the different topics and the different messages they put across and we were speaking about it being perhaps like hard truths and for those that are watching on youtube you'll see that rob's got some pretty hard-hitting quotes on 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 his wall around mindset and so many different topics that i like to just read up on and it's kind of nicely supplements the kind of nonsense relaxed element of my feed about football with some hard-hitting stuff so rob is an absolutely legit guy so without any further ado rob do you want to give us a little bit of a background on who you are and where you come from Sure. Well, really quick, what I do, I'm a social skills and relationship coach. I help people make new and better friends and build stronger relationships by improving their social skills. So I really focus on the social skills aspect of it to help people build genuine connections with the people in their lives or new people that they want to meet. Yeah. And I think in this day and age, that wouldn't have been a job 20 years ago that we maybe thought about. <laughs> but let's think about the lives that we live now, particularly in this COVID area where we're so isolated and we actually socially distance. That's like the term that's used. So we're further away from people than ever before. But even before that, with all our screens and our technology and all these different barriers that we now throw up in terms of interacting with people and building our social skills and our network in terms of actual real life and then making friends and different situations and we'll go into that throughout the podcast i think it's an interesting niche to be in and certainly something that you started to build credibility in, in the last couple of years which means that'll be a really valuable chat for us rob yeah um it's to touch on that it's almost becoming an epidemic uh 
social skills are shown to be going down. People are becoming lonelier and lonelier. They're getting worse at talking to others and talking to strangers, opening up to people, asking for help. Um, it's, it's a full-blown epidemic in my opinion. Not to say that there aren't a lot of people enjoying life and doing a good job of it, but the people who are lacking in this area is growing uh, as time goes on. And I hope to change that. That's really my goal is to help those who feel like they're not doing well with their social skills, aren't building those strong relationships with people in their lives to turn that corner and get better in this area. Yeah, and I think when we think about that loneliness epidemic, it sounds really extreme, but I think there's lots of examples, and I've heard you speak about this previously, Rob, where I think it was a, a, a hospital in the US where they were asking people to put their kind of emergency contact, and the percentage of people that weren't able to put an emergency contact of somebody they could trust who would show up for them or be there for them to support them was was absolutely staggering, and we were, it really underlines the fact that many people do not have people like you say to to ask for help to open up to to speak to that maybe aren't a work colleague or aren't a aren't a more formal relationship beyond that and for many of us you may see people online that look incredibly popular and integrated but are they actually do they actually have connection and true social rapport with people in person and that's certainly a question we can we can dive into today as well yeah i mean so social media has changed changed the world dramatically along with video games and other forms of entertainment, right? Like, I don't know what you were doing as a kid, but I spent my whole childhood outside. I was never inside. I was like up until maybe third or fourth grade, I was barefoot with my neighbors playing in dirt and running around doing whatever. And then in fourth grade, I got a skateboard and I rode that thing through eighth grade, but I was still outside 24 seven on that skateboard and then playing sports and everything through high school. I mean, I just, I just was never inside. And with the growth of video games and social media, people having phones on their, like every, kids having phones and, or smartphones with games and everything, you see a lot of these people just spending their time inside, watching videos, scrolling social media, and that obviously has an impact on people. That's a great point because I think I was having this conversation with a friend the other day where we were saying that I, it was in my final year at school, the year before I went to university, that I actually had Facebook on my phone. So that was, I was quite developed by that point. And even now, my generation and my age group and demographic, a lot of people still are incredibly reliant on their phone in social situations. You see them reach for their phone anxiously when they're maybe waiting at the coffee machine in the office rather than turning and talking to the people around them. And I think that's creeping into my age group, which is kind of 25 to 35. And for the younger generation behind that, where you're speaking about, I mean, video games were a big thing when I was at school. However, we still played outside, let's say football, rugby, tennis. We were constantly active, but it's probably becoming more of an epidemic for the people behind us. Although even people in our demographic, Rob, are still being kind of, I don't want to say warped, but changed by the technology that's around us to rely on it rather than rely on our ability to communicate and speak to people. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. And I think one of the things is because you're right, I grew up with video games and I grew up with the TV and stuff, but they're not as addictive as the phone is, right? I mean, they've 
mastered the addiction process, right? Like Facebook and Instagram to get you to do that one extra scroll to view that one extra ad. They're really honing in on what makes you addicted to it. And like even me, like a week ago, so I had phones on my game like most humans do or games on my phone. And last week, I think it was like a week ago, I deleted all the games and I was like, dude, screw this. I don't need to play games. Like, cause a lot of times I'd have my phone and let's say I had to wait for something for five minutes or I was just bored for a minute, pull it out, start playing game. But then it goes beyond the five minutes and I still want to play and I'm still addicted. And it's like, I hated that feeling of it owning me and not me owning it. Yeah. Um, so I deleted them. And honestly, this last week, it's been weird because I pull up my phone. I want to like do something, but there's nothing to get addicted to. And then I just put it down and go about my life. And it's been weird, but it's been a very good change. And I'm excited that I did it. Yeah, like rewiring those habits. And I guess that would be a topic for another day in terms of the <laughs> addictiveness of phones. And um, little spoiler for the listeners, we're hoping to have Naya Rial on the podcast, who's the author of um, Indistractable, which is around our use of technology and focus. And I certainly think I can resonate with where you're speaking there about when you're waiting for something, like you say, you could be in the coffee shop, whatever, and you could interact with people, but instead we're looking at our phones, maybe play that game. And like you say, two, three minutes later, even when the phone's going away, you're thinking, oh, Maybe look at maybe just pick out my pick out my pocket again. Have a, another little look, even if it's not a game. If it's social media, you're like, oh, I missed something in the last two minutes. No, you haven't, mate. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> it'll 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 still be there. So I guess the only other thing I was going to ask about your background, um, Rob, some of the things you help people with is things like changing social circle as well, and meeting new people as well as the actual social skills. Is is that something that you think people are challenged by as well in this kind of loneliness epidemic that's happening? Yeah, it's, it's a, a very big component of it, especially in the young adult age, right? Like 25 years old, uh, 30 years old, usually like 25, I'd say, because they get out of college, they get a new job. And a lot of the times they'll move to a new city to start this job. Even if it's, you know, 30 minutes from where they're from or whatever, they're not right by their, the people that they were good friends with. So they have to go and make new friends. And because they had friends before, they think, oh, I'll just make new friends somehow, you know, whatever. And then harsh reality hits and they realize, wow, it's a lot harder to make new friends than I thought it would be. And some of these people go on for years without ever making good friends. And it's sad because it turns an optimistic, happy person into a, a depressed, low, like, destroys their self-confidence and just crushes them as a human. And, um, and so that's, that's the main type of person I really try to help. Yeah, of course. And even like less extreme examples of people who maybe maintain friendships from school or their first job or college or university that over time, they aren't really based on actual friendship or connection they're just based on convenience and habit and maybe interest in the same things five ten fifteen years ago depending on how long that friendship goes for and that's certainly a a group that we can maybe speak to today as well and one of the key things I've, I've seen on your website rob and throughout your tweets over the over the time that i've been following you is the impact of who are kind of circle of five or five best friends and the people around us is do you think people underestimate that 
I mean, it seems to be a popular saying. Uh, I hear people say it all the time. So I don't know that they underestimate it, but it's underutilized. And I think people, I do think it's underestimated. I do think people keep toxic people in their lives because they've known them for a long time. They're an old friend or they're a family member. And they think they need to, or they just, they're scared to get rid of them for different reasons, but they keep people in their lives that completely ruin it or hurt their ability to kind of become the person they want to become. Um, and that's because it's absolutely true. The five people that you spend the most time with have a huge impact on who you are and who you become. Uh, we are a product of our DNA and our environment and our DNA is, is affected by our genes, our diet, our exercise, kind of our body. So you can work on those, but your environment plays a giant, it plays a huge impact on who you are, what you read, what you see on TV or the shows you watch um, and who you interact with. All these things are inputs into your brain that first go through your conscious mind and then the more you hear them, the more you repeat them, they go into your subconscious mind and help create who you are and the mindsets that you have. And if those are negative thoughts or poor mindsets or beliefs, then you're going to be walking around the earth with these mindsets that make you do actions that are not beneficial to the goals you want to accomplish. 100% my thoughts as well. And I think you explain that really clearly and fully there Rob because I've seen firsthand the kind of shifts in friendship groups that I've gone through through different stages of my life and when I've been focused on personal development like I have in the in the last few years I've constantly changed friendship groups and that's not to say that I've, I've fallen out with or had like disagreements with people who I was really close to years when I wasn't as focused on that maybe I like to party a bit more at university I like to um play rugby and um, like drink on the weekends more. But as I moved forward, I maybe just lost touch with those people to the same way. And maybe I'll see them once a year now at my birthday or at their birthday, whereas previously I was seeing them two or three times a week. So you, you, your friendship groups are transient, the transit kind of based on where you're going in life and what your goals are. And you've spoken there about environment. And let's think, for example, you mentioned like a negative environment. Family's a really hard one, so we'll go, we'll go with friendship group. Let's say your friend is just really, really overweight and insecure about the fact that you're going to the gym and training because a lot of the listeners to this will be very into their fitness. How difficult is it when every weekend they want to maybe get the takeaway that will throw you off track? They want to go for drinks, which you know means you won't be able to train the next day. They want to... Oh, have the donut at lunchtime with me because it makes me feel better. So it's really, really common to see people try to unsettle you based on you striving for something that makes them uncomfortable. And if you have people like that within your five, you're inevitably going to struggle to meet those goals. So I'm glad that we've we've kind of touched on that power of five there, Rob. Yeah, uh, you touched on an important point. So first, if they're doing these things a lot, let's say they eat really unhealthy and it's all the time and you're with them, the more often you have to say no and turn down that because we all want a donut, right? I mean, it tastes good. It's no matter how healthy of a person you are, it's, it's pretty hard to turn down good tasting food without using discipline, which is what we tend to have to use. 
And if you're around that, eventually you're going to either give in or you're going to kind of fracture that relationship. They're going to be like, you're too good for me or whatever. And when you use up all that willpower there, you, it's harder to stay on track in other areas. And it's one of the same reasons why, like, if you don't buy the junk food at the grocery store, it's a lot easier to not eat it when it's at your house. So that's another way of like controlling your environment. Right. And it's the same with your friends. If you don't hang out with that person who eats donuts all the time or whatever, it's a lot easier to not eat them. Um, and then, and then the other component is if they get offended because you're on your health kick and they're not, they may see you as someone who thinks that they're better than them or whatever, which can fracture the relationship, which then they try to make you feel bad for you trying to be your best. And that's often an opportunity to say, you know, this just isn't one of the people I need in my top five. And as sad as it is, it just might not be the best, uh, best way for you to go moving forward. Yeah, completely. And like, <laughs> I work in business development away from the kind of uh, podcast and the Instagram that you know about, Rob. And it's a, it's very important that I'm upbeat in terms of my ability to go and prospect for new clients and speak to new clients and kind of be resilient for some of the rejection, but also be positive when I'm having interactions. And we talk about things like mood hoovers or using a Harry Potter reference, the mentors who kind of suck that away from you and take away that positivity. And that's really, really evident in the, in like young people's careers, because most of the people listening to this will want to have the most successful business, either their own or they want to have, be extremely successful within the corporate ladder or wherever they're, wherever they're working and really work their way up the ranks and be successful. And the people that surround you, if they don't hold those same goals or at least the majority of your five, it can be very, very difficult. And I've seen firsthand different friends or people who are kind of a little bit wider in my network really struggle with the people around them when they've got like an aspirational career goal, because there's almost a, a stigma around like, oh, nine to five is boring. Like I hate my job. I hate like what I do. Whereas like if I didn't enjoy my nine to five, I would be full-time in fitness, like pouring myself into it, doing something like that. So I enjoy it. So I need people around me who are either smashing it in the fitness industry or people who are like, like me and want to grow and drive themselves forward in the corporate space and achieve their best rather than a dementor or a mood hoover who's like, Oh, went to work today and it was just, it was, it was so shit. I hate it. I can't wait to like quit or, Oh, I've got a holiday book next week and I can't like, all I'm thinking about is that. Whereas, Oh, I'm thinking like, I've got a full week of work before I go on holiday. Let's be as productive as I can that time. And I need that energy, Rob. And I think a lot more of us do when it comes to both fitness, which you've spoken about and given a great example when it comes to like environment and how we dictate that, but also when it comes to our environment and our careers and our work and our aspirations there. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. And I want people to understand you don't have, everyone doesn't have to meet all your criteria, right? It's like you have your fitness friends, you have your personal development friends, and you try to keep around those people. And it's like, and I have some people who don't really have either of those, but they're awesome people. Their positivity is just like through the roof. And it's like, okay, if I can spend a, a couple hours with him, have a few beers, like once a week or twice a month or whatever, it's like, that's a net positive because we have such a good time together. And so that's one of the ways I try to live my life is like to enjoy every moment, whoever it's with, no matter what, and squeeze out the good part of them, which is like, a, it's a social skill in itself, right? It's like, 
finding their good components and digging into those really. It's like some people love talking about business. And so you, you dig into that. Some people just love having fun and like bantering and laughing and whatever, and you do that with them. And so that's, that's one of the things I like to take away from it. Yeah. I think you raise a really important point around who's within our network for what particular needs we have. Like you say, it would be very dull and maybe not as fulfilling a life if all five were exactly in the same way. And it might drive you forward for a period of time, but like you say, you need different elements. And one of the most important things you said to me there, Rob, is around the consciousness of your time that you spend. So like you say, one of the people who's in your five that's really close to you might be that kind of more laid back joker type that you can go for, go for a night out with, enjoy yourself with, unwind. They're not going to ask you too much about what's happening with, you, with, your, with your business, Rob, what's happening with your training, what's happening with your nutrition, what's happening with the books and the podcasts you're listening to. Because sometimes you do just need to dial it back. And I hate the term balance, but it's the one we're going to use. You strike the balance between the different demographics of people that you spend time with and you're conscious within each one. And I really like that you've taken that approach. So to move forward from there, Rob, we've spoken about the importance of the five. We've, we've maybe given some people a bit of a crisis internally about, oh, maybe my five aren't quite right. So let's firstly talk about how we can meet new people and make new friends and what, what that looks like really for the listener. Yeah, so before I get into meeting people and all that, I want to touch on the seven pillars of connecting with people. It's just the thing I've come up with that you need to touch on uh, to build a connection with people. And so there's seven of them. You have the first one is attraction. And this is where someone wants to get to know you better or become better friends with you. It's not sexual, like some attraction you may think of, but it's when they're attracted to like your intelligence, your personality, your confidence, achievements, whatever, but they're attracted to you as a person. And they're interested in potentially having more of you in their life. So that's the first one. The second one is trust. And it's pretty simple. It's when people believe what you say and believe that your intentions are honest. Um, The third is respect. And that's when they value your qualities, abilities, achievements, and the way you handle yourself. Uh, The fourth one is similarities. And this is when you and another person share something like values, beliefs, principles, interests. Uh, So you have these things in common and you both realize it. Enjoyment is the fifth one. And that's when the other person enjoys being around you and having you around. The sixth one is understanding. And this, this is when someone believes you know them and understand who they are as a person and vice versa. Uh, it's akin to getting to know someone. And then the last one is caring. When someone believes that you care about them and their well-being. And the reason I bring this up first is throughout the whole process of meeting, meeting new people, you're trying to build a connection with them. Uh, and you have to hit on these points because if, like, if someone doesn't trust you, you can't really build a relationship with them. They're not going to want you around They're not going to believe what you say, whatever. If they don't respect you, they're not going to look up to you or admire you or listen to what you say. If they're not attracted to you, they just don't, aren't interested in being your friend. So all these things matter. And as I 
talk about how to build friendships, you can see that like one tactic may help build attraction, trust, respect, similarities all at the same time. And then you start to see why they're so valuable. Yeah, that's, that is a brilliant framework and list of the different areas that we need to kind of tick and check off in order to build these friendships. And like you say, it's really important. We've got similarities and shared interests. You've touched on a lot of the others there and that enjoyment piece where we're kind of referencing back to, yeah, it's important to maybe both be interested in personal development, but if you don't enjoy spending time with each other and you don't kind of vibe and connect beyond that, then it's just a shared interest. Like I've got loads of acquaintances who like fitness and we, we can go to the gym together, but we're not really close friends because we don't have that much outside of that in terms of maybe I don't trust them or maybe they don't understand me as much, or maybe they, we both don't care that much about each other beyond how we get on the gym. And that's, and that's really interesting for me to kind of take that on board there and think (laughs) about, think about it within some of my relationships that I've got, where I've got people who I value as friends and then maybe a tier below that. And that's no slight on them as an acquaintance. And I'm an acquaintance for them rather than, like a close confidant or a close friend. So yeah, I absolutely love that, that framework that you've got there, Rob. And I, I think your clients will really value that as well. Yeah, for sure. And so back to your original question, um, I think it was how, what tips would I give people for how meeting to make new, new friends, people? Yeah, new people. So the first component is finding them, right? You have to find a new person to meet them and make them your friend. And in this COVID environment, it's obviously a lot more difficult. Um, And even I'm like with my clients, sometimes it's a struggle to help them find ways to meet new people. Because usually it's like I send them to places where they can talk to 10 plus people all in an hour. And it's like they get their practice in, they work on their skills, plus they're meeting new people. And now it's not like that. But I'll give you some of the things that I've done. to help me because I've actually grown a social circle here in Austin. I've been here less than a year. I moved out here from California last February. And coincidentally enough, it was right as COVID was hitting. And so it was a good test to see if I could still make new friends. And fortunately I have been, I've built a good social circle out here. So um, anyway, I'll kind of go into that. uh, Yeah. I love that. You want me to just dive in? Yeah. I love that. Go for it. So First, like I said, you have to find these people. And for me, I'm a parent, I have a three-year-old kid and he is in daycare. And so we're really comfortable spending time with parents of kids that he's in the class with because he's already in their class. So it's like, well, they're already sharing whatever they have, which is going to us. So it's like, if I'm gonna spend time with people not being socially distanced, it's gonna be those people first, primarily. So, um, what I've done is, you know, I, like when we go pick up our kid, we, there's other parents around and I just strike up conversations with them. Some of them are in his class, like their kids in his class and we banter back and forth. And eventually we build a big enough of a connection to exchange numbers and get together, uh, outside of that environment. Yeah. What I've also done a huge one that I think is good is meeting neighbors. And this is for many reasons like there's this book called the light switch um by an fbi an ex-fbi agent and he talks about how to connect with people and build 
familiarity. So he used it to like get information out of um, like people that they were that had in, yeah. yeah like terrorists and stuff they had to get like information out of them and so you have proximity duration i i'm trying to think of the other two uh depth and frequency so proximity how close you are to the person if you're in a classroom if you sit next to them every day versus if they're on the other side of the classroom you're going to build a lot more closeness with the person that's right next to you how long you see them for so if you go get um like coffee every day and you see the barista you see them for like a minute as opposed to if you go to class for an hour you see them for an hour build more more of a familiarity frequency how often you see them so if it's every day you'll build more closeness than, than if it's every week yeah. and depth um like if you're just saying hi bye whatever versus if you're working as a team, like a coworker. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I bring this up because your neighbors, you see them all the time, you bump back and forth, so it's a lot easier to build that familiarity with them. But even more important is you can see them a lot more often. If I become friends with my next door neighbor, I can see them multiple times a week as opposed to meeting someone that lives 20 minutes away. You have to schedule a hangout and you see them once a month or something. It's gonna be a lot harder to build a close friendship with them. Yeah, it's and really so, low cost in terms of time as well, like you said. Yeah, and so some of the things I do to meet my neighbors is I walk my dog or I walk my son around the block. Um, maybe you have like, my wife make some cookies and go give them to neighbors when we move in. Or you just try to do things in the area like we have playgrounds around here we take our son there we meet other parents and stuff there anything you can do in your area where other people be walking around and try to talk to them and start conversations and so that's that's just a good place to start um i really like that place it's COVID, yeah. it's COVID friendly, like you say as well, for starters. Although let's let us let us not let's not restrict ourselves too much to that, because hopefully, uh, the virus will be uh, being dealt with very soon. Hopefully, yeah, for sure. And so you, it's just a matter of finding places to meet people. I love what I call consistent social groups, which are places that the same people meet in a regular on a regular basis to do something they enjoy um, with like-minded people. And so it's consistent, it's social, and it's a group of people. And think about like a sports team, right? If you go, if I join a, like a basketball team, maybe we practice twice a week, maybe we have a game once a week. You know, I see them consistently, it's the same people. It's a lot easier to build a relationship with someone that you see frequently than it is if I go and play a pickup game, but then they're not there the next time I go play a pickup game. Yeah. And so, Finding these groups based on similar activities, whether it's a book club, a sports activity, a hiking group, um, like a marketing meetup or a mastermind, any of those types of groups are great ways to meet new like-minded people. Yeah, that's some really useful ways there. And like many of the listeners think back to your days at university or college, one of the most easy ways for you to make almost instant friends or connect or connections was the different societies that were there. So you could, the 
I don't, maybe societies will cover sports teams within that as well. So the rugby team, the football team, the chess society, the debating society, the Harry Potter society, you could find people that like what you like and instantly you've ticked off that similarities box and then from there you can look at the other six pillars and see if those resonate with the different people you're connecting with and ultimately you give yourself a better chance of meeting people. Alongside the neighbours thing, I think that's excellent and I don't know if you found this but I found that people were more willing to say hello than ever before at the very kind of start of this COVID period when everyone kind of had that togetherness of like all being locked away, all being in the same boat regardless of what your background was or what your plans were going forward. You were all kind of like maybe a little bit worried about what was going on. And I know that's maybe changed a little bit now as the kind of pandemic's unfolding in terms of what it, what it actually is all about. But being able to say hello to those people when you're at your morning walk, you build fantastic connections and although I live in an area that's got a lot of elderly people and families and my brother and I are both in our kind of mid to late 20s we still have excellent connections in that we could rely on our neighbors to watch the flat for us or unlock the door for a tradesperson if somebody's coming to fix something at the flat and that kind of stuff and that's been through being confident enough to say hello and I guess that was one of the things I was going to ask you a lot of people listening to this are maybe going to think of approach anxiety and that's not in terms of like approach anxiety in terms of like asking a girl or a guy for their number but it's approach anxiety even just saying hello is a is a, is a thing there rob isn't it it's it's huge i had it massively uh when i was younger all the way through college basically like i was able to talk to people and whatever it wasn't this thing where i couldn't talk to people but talking to strangers frightened me i hated it and so when I, I moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, when I was 25 years old, and that's kind of when I learned a lot of the stuff I teach now, because I was like, oh, I'll make a new social circle, blah, blah, blah. And I was all excited. And a month into it, I was like, oh my gosh, I have no idea how to do this. And it turned from excitement to depression, like really fast. Yeah. And one of the nights I went out, went to a bar. I was like, all right, I'll just go talk to people, whatever. A guy sat next to me, like it couldn't have been easier to talk to him. And I was like about to say hi, but then he started ordering his drink and I just kind of sat there and I, I sat there for an hour drinking my beer and I never said hi to one person. And I left so deflated, like I hated myself. I used all this negative self-talk about how dumb I was and whatever. And I mean, I, I think I cried that night. Like I was yeah, genuinely upset. And that kind of sparked a change in me. I told myself, I was like, no, I need to start meeting new people and talking to strangers. And what I realized is I built up in my head how important it was to turn that person into a friend that I didn't start the conversation because I was worried about not accomplishing that goal eight steps down the line. And what I changed is I was like, I don't care what happens with the conversation anymore. If I say hi, that's a win. If I go up and introduce myself, that's a win. And so I started doing that to every stranger I could find. I talked to like over a hundred people in two weeks. I really just went after it. And I realized it's so much easier than I thought. Like I would just say, Hey, how's it going? And most people are pretty friendly. And if they're not, I was like, Oh, okay, no worries. And I move on to the next person and removing that dependence on the outcome, I think was a really big component of getting myself to be able to start conversations with strangers. That's resonated with me so much around the process being more important than 
the outcome and we'll, we'll go into a fitness example for the listeners we'll do a wee business one as well so the process for getting fit and healthy might be train four times a week track your calories hit a protein goal do your steps for a certain number certain number of steps per day and the outcome is like get shredded but the process is so much more important because if you tick off those boxes like you say if you say hi to 100 people in two weeks the chances are you might make you you might make two or three friends and that's that's far more important than detaching yourself from like oh well they might not like me they might not say hi back that's fine but if you don't buy a ticket you can't win the raffle so you need to buy that ticket and say hello and put yourself out there initially and then from business perspective it's even easier to give an example if you're cold calling organizations, if you don't pick up the phone and start dialing, as they say in the Wolf of Wall Street, nobody's going to buy anything from you. You need to out, you need to reach out and say hello in order for anybody to come back to you and give you an order or give you a, give you a check, whatever it, is we're, whatever it is we're chasing. So I really, really like the idea that you detached yourself from the emotion and the potential like scary rejection that comes from saying hello. and to be completely frank with the listeners, I've done networking events before where I've gone along and spoken to like one person and been like, oh God, that was hard. And that one person wasn't like the kind of person I really need to network with. It's just the first person that I bumped into. So I spoke to them and I was like, I'll just hang on to you. And that's the wrong way to network because there's like a hundred other people in the room and some of them might be like my target person that I want to really connect with. And if I've been braver and said hello to more people, then straight away, I might have found the right person for me and, and developed that. So I really resonate with that a lot, Rob. Yeah. And I mean, that it comes down to the difference between a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset, right? If you think that, oh, I have to turn this one person into a friend, you're going to be needy. You're going to cling on to them and you're going to drive them away anyway. When the reality is, who cares? There's a million people out there. You can talk to them if you like them, cool. If they like you, cool. If not, go talk to the next person, which is more of an, an abundance mindset where it's like, there's so many people out there. If I shoot my shot with a hundred people, I'm bound to find someone I like. And if I don't, I'll just keep trying because I know that they're out there. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And I know we've spoken about a lot of different places. One place where a lot of people listen to this podcast will make people that they would get on well with is the gym but so often we go in there with our headphones on and our resting bitch face between sets and we play on our phone and check the gram whereas there's there's probably at least if you're in a busy gym three or four people in that same room in the same demographic with the same interests probably very similar to you maybe they work a similar kind of job you guys would probably get on like a house on fire but some of us are so scared and insular to speak to the other person that we never discover that and some of my closest friends outside of the kind of five, maybe like in the kind of wider, I've come from me saying hi to somebody in gym or can you give me a spot or can I use that after you? And then you get chatting. It's like really an easy way into to speaking to somebody. It's not as complicated as it sounds. And many of us are worried that we'd be seen as like maybe chatting up a girl in the gym or making her unsettled. But if you remove that from it and it's another guy or another girl, or even if it is a girl, but you're not, you don't have those intentions, just be friendly and you never know how how far that friendship and that initial high can go as long as you remove the fact that they might just say hi back and that'll be it but it could go further couldn't it exactly and that's actually something i like to teach my clients as well one use the places you're already going to as potential places to meet people so for example like 
I used to walk my dog and I would just throw my headphones in and listen to something. And I wouldn't care about talking to people. I just, cool, I get to listen to music or a podcast and I walk my dog. But then I was like, I can use this time to meet people, to talk to people. And it's also a good kind of way to meditate. So it's not like I'm completely throwing away one thing to try to maybe meet people, but I'm already doing this. I can practice my social skills, improve my social skills, possibly meet people who live right by me who are some of the most valuable relationships. So that's one of the first things I teach clients is like, use the places you're already at as practice sources. Talk to the barista, talk to the person in the checkout line. Like if you're in, if you're in an aisle at the grocery store and you're in the salsa aisle and you don't know which one to get, ask the person next to you, hey, have you tried any of these salsas? Like I'm, I honestly, the last few I've tried sucked. Like if you have a recommendation, that'd be awesome. And it's like, they might not, they might, they may not be friendly and be like, oh no, whatever. And then you go about your day. Yeah. Or sometimes they'll be friendly. They'll be like, actually, we just use this one. And I really love it. And then you start a conversation. Um, so that's one of the main things that I try to teach my clients about um, using what you're already doing. And then oh, I lost the other one. If it comes to me, I'll tell you. Yeah, well, I love the first one for starters, Rob. It's valuable enough for me because, like you say, it's that kind of, and again, we'll use fitness examples because I, I, that's the way my brain works, I think, in terms of moving things in terms of like examples. But it's like reps and time under tension. Like the more reps that we do, we better, the better we get at stuff. So the first time that you tried to barbell back squat or barbell bench press, it's probably shit. Whereas one, two years down the line, you've done it hundreds of times, countless weeks, you've turned up and done it. Your movement patterns ingrained, you're confident, you're able to do it. And it's exactly the same turning and having a casual conversation with a stranger in the supermarket, being able to say, oh, like that, that salsa example, I love that because it's so casual, it's so actionable, and you can use that template across lots of other different areas within life. Like you say, you could be in the coffee shop and you say, oh, I had a, I had this one yesterday, but I really want to try another one. What what are you getting today? And it's 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 not it's not rocket science, but it, giving people examples and tools is really helpful because I know it reassures me if I go into a network event that I've got maybe four or five stock phrases that I can open a conversation with, depending on what type of person it is. Then I'm reassured, and it's not to say I'm going in with a script or an agenda to like read out my lines and deliver them like an actor, but I'm confident yeah. because I know there's maybe four or five different things I can say. And like you say, practicing and getting the reps in and the, the confidence builds over time and you, you put yourself in a much better situation. Yeah. And that's actually something I do teach people. It's like, I don't want you to just have canned material for everything, like a pickup artist or something, which won't get into that, but it is good to have lines that you use or stories that you've told before that you know exactly the goal you're going to accomplish by saying that story um, or questions you've asked before, because it helps you practice and perfect them. And conversation is very fluid, right? Like if they ask a question, you have to answer that specific question, but there are things that come up time and time again in conversations. And so I, I try to have people have a, like a, a scripted answer for three of the biggest questions you're always going to get. Yeah. How are you doing? Where are you from? And wait, how's it going? Where are you from? And what do you do? Yeah. Um, 
new people always ask those questions. And if you script your answers, then you, you're prepared to connect with them based on the answers you give. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic, Rob. And I guess one of the ones, what, what do you do is probably a, a harder one for people to, to answer sometimes and they maybe ramble on or whatever. But if you've maybe practiced that and you're confident in terms of what you say and it opens you up to further conversations where sometimes people can be like really short and be like, I, I, could be like, I work in insurance. Um, yeah, it's cool. Or, or I'm not a big fan of it. And that shuts down the chat, doesn't it? Whereas if I'm a bit more open, I'm a bit more like, I work in business development. I speak to lots of different people. It's primarily around insurance. The main people I speak to are X, Y, and Z. And I've given you a little bit more to work with and move the conversation on rather than a big dirty roadblock straight in the way. Yeah. So let me give you an example. If someone asks, how's it going? I could say good, but then you're not giving them anything to bounce off of. You're not showing them that you have good energy. You're not making them more attracted to you. All the seven things I listed before, you're not accomplishing any of those. But instead, if they say, how's it going? I could say, amazing. This cold weather that we've been having lately, I've been loving it so much. Like I can get into my sweatpants, grab a blanket, turn on the fire, lay down with my favorite book and a cup of coffee and just chill there for two hours without feeling guilty in the middle of the day. And you don't think that you're saying, it doesn't sound like you're saying much by doing that, but think about all the things you're doing. You said that you're reading a book. So a lot of people can connect with that. Like they may be intrigued. What kind of book are you reading? Oh, I love to read. So there's one interest point. You're showing a really positive attitude. You're saying, you, I answered with amazing. Like even just saying amazing alone, people are kind of blown away. Like, wow, he's yeah. like doing so well. So you, it makes it more enjoyable for them because of your positive attitude. Um, you're, you're, yeah, so you put potential similarity. You're showing confidence, like you're, you're talking confidently and saying, like, and just opening up to them with what you're doing. You're injecting humor. Like I made it a little joke, like I can just chill in the middle of the day, reading a book and not feel guilty. It could build a little bit of attraction. They can be like, how is it that you get to read in the middle of the day when most people are like working? So it's kind of builds a little intrigue and it builds trust because when people enjoy you and you seem honest and fun, they just trust you more rather than if you don't say anything. So by doing that, I'm and they understand me more. They know I like to read and chill and whatever. And so by doing that, I just, just add, like increase all those a little bit, um, with one sentence and by practicing it and being prepared for that, it's a lot easier to do rather than like hoping something comes out right when you talk to someone and they ask you. Yeah. That's so, so many good points within that, Robin. Like you say that kind of, let's say template or base answer that we can have available needs to open up to the different seven pillars that we've spoken about. And like you say, that's maybe like the perfect answer because it ticks all seven boxes, but you can scale that back to something that you're maybe more comfortable with because if you're not as maybe as confident as that, but when you're open, transparent, attractive, and you kind of give them an opportunity to identify similarities or at least enjoy what you're saying and understand what kind of ticks your boxes, you're giving the maximum opportunity for the conversation to flow from there and you to develop something. So I really like the idea of, some stock phrases, some stock answers to make us more comfortable because 
we're talking about this only as an epidemic. It's because we're scared. It's because we're uncomfortable. It's because it's new and novel and there's a bit of pain and inertia to get through before we build up these networks. So either we stay in friendship groups that are doing us a disservice and not moving us forward, or we just don't make any new friends when we go to a new city or a new place. And you've now twice gone to different cities most recently to, to Austin, Texas, and you've kind of developed your networks through this kind of framework. Yeah, exactly. So one of the key things that I've seen you talk about on Twitter was actually a list of, of 34 things in terms of key principles to being socially savvy. We won't go through all 34 tonight. We'll direct <laughs> people towards your Twitter. Don't worry, Rob. And uh, it'll be a valuable follow for everyone who, who goes there. But let's pick a few in terms of like what, what comes into that. And actually one of them is having good answers to common questions, isn't it? Which I absolutely love. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what we were going to through, right? Um, is, wait, so are you asking me to go through that more or are you asking for others? Yeah, if you could share a couple others with us, Rob, I think that'd be fantastic. Uh, yeah, so uh, so another tactic I love is talking people up. And it's something I noticed from a childhood friend of mine. And as we grew older, he was the absolute number one most social person I've ever known. And he still is to this day. Um, he hangs out with a completely different crowd than I do. And he's still back in my hometown and stuff. And we don't talk much, but nonetheless, his social skills are just insane. Like insane. He walks into a, whether it's a bar or wherever and boom, he's friends with the bouncer. Boom. He's friends with the most social people there. The owner's coming up to him and like introducing himself to him. And one of the things he does so well is he hypes people up like he makes everyone he talks to feel like the coolest person he's ever met like he'll go up to someone he'll meet them like he'll find out what they do they'll show him a picture of like i don't know maybe they welded something as a project yeah. then he'll leave that conversation start talking to someone new and then he'll be like dude you have to meet this other guy i just met and he'll like bring him over like, dude, show him that picture of that thing you welded. And now he's like hyping both these people to each other yeah, and making them both feel so good. And he does this behind people's back too, not just in front of them, but it's like, like I'll be with him. He's like, Hey, have you met John? Blah, blah. Like, I'm like, Oh, I know the name. And he'll just hype him up to me. He'll be like, dude, he's the funniest guy I ever like I've known. And he'll just hype him up. I'm like, when I meet John, I'm already like stoked to meet him. Yeah. I tell him about the things Peter was saying about him and all these things eventually come back to my buddy, Peter, who's doing it. And it's just enough, a fantastic skill to develop. It's so positive as well, isn't it? Cause you're speaking about people in a good light and it's really easy for us to bitch and moan about people behind their back, but instead let's talk about people that we, you need to meet. Oh, it'd be fantastic to connect you with. Well, let's, let's think about how this came about. Oliver Anwar connected me with you and he was like oh you, it'd be great for you to have a chat with Colin he's running a great podcast and you were like yeah I'm, I'm excited to and we both had a lot of hype and energy before we came on this call because we were excited to have this conversation because our introduction was really positive based on how our our kind of in, our introducer spoke about us both and I think that's a nice example for the listeners to think about how they can talk about people behind their back or when you're doing a formal introduction in terms of like building people up around you. Obviously it benefits both those parties, but it also paints you in a positive light as somebody you would want to spend time around because 
you're a good guy, you say meaningful, sincere things to build positivity in terms of energy. Uh, yeah, I mean, and then in, you can tell it knocks off some of those connecting things, right? Like enjoyment, caring, understanding, because he's genuinely getting to know these people so that he can use those things to brag about them to other people. And I'm not even sure he does it on purpose like that. I think he actually is genuinely curious in people. When he finds something cool about them, he really latches onto it and he brings it with him to other places. And so it's not less, like, I'm sure it could be a manipulative tool, but it, it doesn't have to be that way. And I don't think it is with him. It's more just a genuine interest. And, and so it's funny because you talked about Oliver introducing us and it goes into another thing that I talk about uh, on my list of 34 principles is that social proof is so important. And had you just emailed me because I, I hadn't seen your stuff before uh, you reached out to Oliver. Had you reached out to me? I'm, I probably eventually would have done the podcast, but first I would have been like, okay, I have to go check out a podcast that I've never heard of. I'd have to like find time to listen to it. I maybe would, I maybe wouldn't. I have no idea. And, you know, it's just, who knows what would have happened had you gone that route. But you going to Oliver and then Oliver come to me immediately he spoke highly of you and I respect his opinion and that social proof right there it was a no-brainer like I knew your email was going to come because he got my information to give to you and right when I got it I opened it and responded and that was yeah. because of that social proof and we can use that in social interactions as well it's harder to fake um but if you're out and about somewhere and it's like you said in your networking event, like you found one person and then you just kind of latched on. It, it shows zero social proof to that person you latched on because you're not talking to any other people. Yeah. But if you left him and you went and started 10 other conversations, even if those conversations went absolutely nowhere and those people are like, get out of my face, to him it would look like, oh, I'm talking to this person. I'm talking to this person. I'm talking to this person. Oh, wow. Like he's social. People like to talk to him. And that social proof goes a long way into changing people's perception of you as a person. Yeah. I, I mean, I use social proof a lot in terms of selling. So if I'm looking to speak to a, a whiskey distiller, cause I'm from, I'm from Scotland, Rob, so you'll love that. <laughs> um, so we have a, we have a lot of big whiskey clients that we already look after and we support them. So when I'm speaking to a new whiskey distiller, I'm giving them reassurance that, listen, we know what we're doing in this space. We look after X, Y, and Z. And here's a testimonial from X, Y, and Z who last year they had a particular incident and we dealt with it really well and we supported them from this perspective and this perspective or we supported their costs in this way. And it gives them that reassurance. So in the same way, like you said, networking event, if I'm buzzing around the room and actively being seen to be in abundance and being from a position of confidence and um, not somebody who is, like you say, just sticking to one person that they've found and maybe somebody thinks, oh God, like this guy's like, like latched on to me and we're not even connected he, he's not going to talk to anyone else because nobody else wants to speak to him whereas if everyone's kind of networking around the place and you go over to, go over back to this guy he's like oh you must be a high value person or a high value high agency guy that lots of people are talking to you so maybe i should spend more time with you and speak to you more openly which i think is a a lovely way to kind of move things forward yeah um and another thing i've i've learned in that realm is 
don't wait for a conversation to stale out before leaving it. So a lot of people, you know, they find someone, they talk to them, talk to them, talk to them, and the conversation eventually ends or the person wants to go. And then they're like, oh, okay. And then they leave. It's better to leave more on a high note. It's like, oh, we're having such a good conversation. Hey, it's great talking to you. Um, I'll catch you later. And then you walk off somewhere else, leave them on a high point. We can always go back and talk to them. It's like, it doesn't mean goodbye forever. It just means, hey, I came in, I provided a good time. I'm going to move on. They're going to be like, you're leaving them with high emotions. And so I want people to understand that it's like, you're not trying to suck everything out of them. You just want to bring good vibes and then you can move on and then do the social proof or whatever, you know, and then meet other people. And if you want to go back, you can always go back to them. Yeah, there's so much I can take from that. And obviously we're going to make sure that we're ending this conversation on a high roll because I think we've covered a tremendous amount in, in our chat in terms of firstly, the importance of the five people that we spend our time with and whether sometimes we can underestimate it or sometimes we can not take action on really implementing it, how we can meet new people, some of the places we can go, some of the things we can say, some of the stock phrases we can use to common questions. Most importantly, which was very new for me, Rob, was those seven pillars that we can use to kind of identify how we can connect best with people and move forward. We've spoken about being socially savvy. We've learned a bit about your experience in terms of how you met new people, both in Austin and then your previous city that you lived in. And I think the last thing to ask you, Rob, is where's the best place for people to connect with you moving forward? The number one place to find me is on Twitter. Um, I'm very active there and I respond to practically every inquiry I get, whether it's a comment or a direct message. So my handle is Robert G. Riker. That's R-I-K-E-R. Um, and second, I share a lot of my free strategies, tips, and tactics with my email list, the things that are longer and not as good for tweets. And so you can join for free at my website, robriker.com. And if you do, you'll receive some free guides and goodies for joining, but that's the other place that people can find me. Sounds good, Rob. Both of those will be in the show notes below. I hope you've all enjoyed listening to this episode. If at this point you have done, please take a screenshot, pop it in your Instagram story, tag myself, make sure you get involved on Rob's Twitter. It comes highly recommended from myself and I don't give out false compliments. Um, I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.